This is the Advent season. Advent season is about expectation and anticipation. Expectation and anticipation. Uh, it's a great part of life to be able to expect and anticipate stuff. We, 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 and, and kind of right now with the Christmas season, that, that's hitting a fever pitch, right? We're so, so excited. We, we passed through that other, that other holiday. What is it again? What is it? What is it? Thanksgiving. We passed through that forgotten holiday. And now, you know, the Black Friday and et cetera. And if you went shopping this weekend, you know, some of the things that you're getting and excited about seeing your kids' faces. And, you know, some of you are just excited about the presents you're getting. See, I don't think Black Friday is not to get presents or give presents. Black Friday is about you going out and getting the deal for yourself, right? And we just live in anticipation. We love anticipation. And, uh, uh, and, then, and then come, you know, Throughout the month, especially those of you with kids, throughout the month, come about December 20, 21st, you're like, when is Christmas ever going to get here? And you're threatening your kids, I'm going to take your presents back, or Santa's going to bring cold, whatever you do in your household, you know, to, to, to keep them in line, and et cetera. But it hits a fever pitch again, right? It hits a fever pitch. About 4 a.m. on December 25th, it hits a fever pitch, and it is jumping on your chest, right? Time to get up! Time to get up! Ah, we're going to open presents right after we go to the ER and fix my broken rib, right? Because your kids are so excited that it is Christmas or your husband's so excited and he's just like, let's open presents now. So we love anticipation and expectation. That's, that's what we, 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 we love. And what is anticipation and expectation all about? It's about hope, joy, faith, peace, and love in our life, in our life. And really, really, if you think about it, these five things, really, they're five pillars of life. That if these are strong in our life, our life is strong. But if these are weak in our life, we have despair, we have hopelessness, we have fear. And if these are not strong, if they have eroded away, our life implodes on itself. And so when we bring this to the Bible, when we bring this to Jesus, what we see is actually Jesus being the one that gives all five of these in abundance and unconditionally. But how is that? How do we find that? How do we see that? We're going to go to the genealogy of Jesus today. And that's, for the most part, where we're going to be. And we're going to see two specific things that Matthew is trying to get through through the genealogy of Jesus so that we can see also how we can have these in increasing measure in our life. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, follow along on the screen, download the Bible app, you can follow along in our app as well if you brought a hardbound Bible. Matthew chapter 1, very start of the New Testament, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Matthew was a Jew himself. However, when Jesus found him, he was a tax collector. So uh, now we hear tax collector, we think IRS. Don't think IRS. Think the wolf of Wall Street. This is who Matthew was. He was the wolf of Wall Street. And Jesus, this rabbi, this upstart superstar rabbi, is inviting the wolf of Wall Street to follow him. Completely changes his life. It's said that Matthew went, went on to China to, 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 to be a missionary in that part of the world. But, but he wrote one of the four Gospels, one of the four life accounts of Jesus, and he did it through the eyes of a Jew. So he had to tie Jesus into David and Abraham. 
And he starts with Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Let's talk about Abraham. Yeah, he's the start of the promise. God, God gave him the promise of saying, hey, look, there's going to be a seed that comes out of you that will bless all nations. But Abraham is also the one that lied about his wife's identity. Apparently, really, him saying that his wife was his sister was kind of a, a, a half lie, which is a whole other subject in itself. But lied about his wife's identity so that, apparently his wife was old, but she was hot, so that the king wouldn't kill Abraham to get his wife. So basically, he lied about his wife's identity so that the king could have a one-night stand with his wife. Fellas, any of you gone there? No would be the appropriate answer, all right? But he was also the one that his wife, when, when the promise came, he was 75. When the promise was fulfilled with, through Isaac, he was 100. That in the middle of this, his wife came to Abraham and said, it looks like we're just going to have to do this for God, so why don't you do it with my, with my, with my uh, uh, maid? <laughs> Abraham, the brilliant guy that he was, was like, okay. And they had a kid. God's like, no, no. This is Abraham. This is where we're starting, all right? Isaac, he fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. His name is Deceiver. I'm sorry if you've got Jacob in your name anywhere, but his name is Deceiver, and he deceived his brother out of his birthright and his inheritance. Any of you done that? Now, I wouldn't put it past some of you all to, to do that. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Matthew put Judah and his brothers in there to, 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 to get our mind to Judah and his brothers and what they did to his brother, Joseph. They were going to kill him, but because they were nice, they only sold, sold him into slavery. Then Judah fathered Perez and uh, Terah, Zerah by Tamar. Genesis 38, you can go read it later because when I tell you the story, you're not going to believe it, so you're going to have to read it for yourself. But Judah... Uh, 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 Tamar married one of Judah's sons, the oldest son. So Tamar was uh, Judah's uh, daughter-in-law. The oldest son died. As is custom in that day, uh, 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 Tamar took the second uh, uh, brother, and, and uh, the, the brother took Tamar as his wife, and, and, and he died. The third son of Judah was too young to get married, so he said, oh, just wait. Just wait, and when he gets of age, I'll give, give him to you. Well, he became of age to marry, and Judah was scared of Tamar that she was like cursed or something. So, so unjustly, he didn't give her the husband, his son. So she's like, I got to do something about this myself. So, so Judah went on some business trip. She hurried to the city that he was going to, dressed up as a prostitute, went outside the city, solicited her father-in-law. He took the bait, slept with her, and got her pregnant. And it's Perez and Zerah were the twins that were fathered by Judah through his daughter-in-law. You should read the Bible. It's boring. What? Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. I'm going to skip down. Verse 5. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab, a prostitute in Jericho. Before the walls came tumbling down, the, the, the spies came into the land. She housed the spies. She, 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 she had faith in God, and God spared Rahab the prostitute. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, another foreign woman. 
who had faith in God. And the story of Ruth and, and Boaz in the Old Testament, four chapters long, is a story of being on display. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. This is the pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of the kingdom of Israel. But then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. With all the women that he actually listed their name, he, he, just, he just mentioned her as Uriah's wife. Well, this is Bathsheba, right? But he wanted us to get into the story by mentioning Uriah. See, David was supposed to be off at war. But for some reason, he decided not to go off to war. He was up on his rooftop one day, and there was Bathsheba. She was bathing on another rooftop. It was the first problem, right? He was like, hmm, I would like me some of that. So being king, he got him some of that. Well, it's Uriah's wife. See, Uriah was a good friend of David and been a warrior for David for many years. And knowingly, he took her and had sex with her. Word came back, she was pregnant. So this is before the day of Jerry Springer and, and DNA tests, right? So what did he do? He brought Uriah off the front lines. What is a horny soldier going to do when he gets home? He's going to have sex with his wife, right? No, no, he was too man for that. He stayed outside his house. So what, is, what does David do the next night? He gets him liquored up. Because what is a drunk soldier that's horny going to do? Have sex with his wife. Nope. Stayed outside his home. So what did David do? He pinned the orders onto Uriah's cloak for his execution to occur. This is the man after God's own heart. Right here, right here, right here. In the lineage of Jesus. And we see all kinds of kings, good kings, bad kings, See Solomon who taxed his people like crazy and worked his people like crazy. We see Rehoboam, which was, was, was Solomon's son, and Solomon's other son, Jeroboam, came on behalf of the people and said, Rehoboam, please just relax the work, will you? Please. Solomon's old advisor said, listen to them. Rehoboam's frat buddies said, get worse. And Rehoboam said to the people, my pinky, my pinky is bigger, it's bigger than my father's thigh. Which I do in research for something else, I, I come, to, come, to, come to read about that word thigh, it actually really means groin, but really probably means the men's body part attached to the groin, my father. My pinky is bigger than my father's body part. Rehoboam was ruthless. This is all in the lineage of Jesus. See, kings, Uzziah, he was a good king. Hezekiah, he was a good king. Josiah, he was a good king. And Josiah, verse 11, Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. We hit a peak. Now this is the lowest of low. I mean, this would be like us being exiled to Iraq. This is the same thing. 
And then the next section of genealogy are, are, are people that is, for the most part, completely obscure. Probably, if you're lucky, you know one guy, Zerubbabel. He was a priest in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah that helped rebuild, bring the people back and rebuild uh, 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 Jerusalem. But these are people during the, during the intertestimonial period, the period of 400 years between, between the close of the Old Testament and God went silent to the opening of the New Testament. People that are completely obscure. We got good kings, we got bad kings, we got good people, we got bad people, we got obscure people, we got famous people. And then, verse 16, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Matthew wasn't just logistically tracing the genealogy back to David and Abraham. That was his surface goal. But he had two other goals in, 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 in doing this. First of all, he was telling us that Jesus is the head crusher. See, ever since sin was introduced into the world by us, people have been looking for the head crusher. See, when Jesus or when God was pronouncing the curse down on the snake, he said, Look, there's going to be a seed from woman coming, and you're going to, you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush your head, saying that, that, that there's going to be somebody that crushes sin once and for all. But what do every one of these people have in common? Sin. Abraham? Nope, not him. Isaac? Not him. Judah? Definitely not him. David? The best king? Nope. He's not the head crusher. Jesus is the head crusher. He came to put an end to sin once and for all. His name itself, Jesus, Savior. It's a common name. Common name. It's a derivative of Joshua. Savior. Rescuer. He come to crush sin once and for all and rescue us. See, when we sin, hope, joy, faith, peace, and love, the pillars of our life get chipped away. In fact, when we sin, we're actually wanting that thing to give us hope and joy and faith and peace and love. But really, it chips away. See, what Jesus told us about the snake is this. He's the father of lies. And in John 10.10, he said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he means, that he has come to steal our hope. Steal our joy, steal our faith, steal our peace, and steal our love. But Jesus has come to crush him in the head so that he can then rebuild our lives. See, Jesus is also the hope giver. He doesn't just rescue us and leave us there in a fetal position for us to fend for ourselves and for us to figure it out. He actually starts rebuilding the pillars of hope Joy, faith, peace, and love. That no matter what, what we've done, he rebuilds us. I don't know about that. Well, have you ever lied about your wife so a king can have a one-night stand with her? 
Have you ever dressed up as a prostitute to have sex with your father-in-law? Have you ever solicited a prostitute, found out it was your daughter-in-law, and had a kid with her? Two of them. You ever steal your buddy's girl and then kill him? Maybe you did the first, but did you kill him? See, that I'm better than that, so I'm good. You ever been addicted to porn? You ever been, had a one-night stand in order to give you love? You ever find hope in a bottle? You ever have faith in your image? These are white-collar sins, right? Stuff we deal with today. See, Jesus is hope giver because when we go after this, they erode our pillars, but Jesus builds them up. He said it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. Whoever hears and follows Jesus, whoever hears and follows the words of Jesus, you will be like a person who has built their house up on the highest rock. The storm's going to come. The flood's going to come. The wind's going to come. But you'll still have peace. You'll still have peace in the middle of all of that. Why? Because your house built on the rock. Said another way, your pillars are built by Jesus, not built by the things of this earth. See, the gospel is not, you are bad, so stop sinning. There's no hope in that. No hope whatsoever. Because it's up to us, right? The gospel is, Jesus' is head crusher, hope giver so commit to hearing and following i don't know what that means neither do i see that's what church is all about it's a group of people figuring out day by day what what hearing and following looks like and as we go about this we see jesus rescuing us and and rebuilding us in hope joy faith peace and love that's what Salvation. That's what church, that's what Christianity really is. The gospel is not stop sinning. The gospel is Jesus is head crusher and hope giver. Have you ever committed yourself to him to hear and follow this man? The Savior, the rescuer, and the rebuilder of life. For those of us that have committed, now our life is putting these on display for those who are hopeless, for those who are living in despair, and for those who have fear. To put those on display because Jesus is the one that gives us these and strengthens the pillars of life. 
And the rest of this series is taking a look at people's lives surrounding the story of Jesus' birth, people's lives, and how God strengthened them and then how God put them on display for all to see. Prayer work this week. Jesus, give me hope by forgiving my sin. Our action, our homework. Give somebody else hope. Give hope to somebody that has hopelessness in their life. Be praying for that. Praying for that. It's guaranteed God wants every one of us to give away hope. Because we get it for free, right? What did Jesus say about himself? Talked about the enemy. Come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, I give you abundant life. The point behind that is an extraordinary life. A life that cannot, sorry, didn't know that would be loud. A life that, that nobody else has. And when we have these in abundance, we will have abundant life. Let's pray. And Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I just pray, Lord, that you will guide us, grow us. I pray that you will show us your hope. Show us how you um, rescue us and rebuild us. I pray, Lord, that you will um, bring salvation to somebody this morning. Help us put this on display. Give hope to the hopeless. Somebody this week, maybe somebody we don't even know is hopeless but their life is crumbling around them because of this. Let us, let us see that with, with your eyes. Be sensitive to give them hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.